Welcome to Fashion Forum, a podcast brought to you by the British Fashion Council. I'm Caroline Rush, Chief Executive. Today we bring you a series of conversations highlighting the relationship between the creative industries, celebrating not only fashion designers, but also the broader creative community, all of whom play a vital role in our industry's culture and reputation, promoting British creativity on a global scale. Hello and welcome to Fashion Forum. I'm Dylan Jones, Editor-in-Chief of GQ and Chair of Menswear for the British Fashion Council. To open this new podcast series, Shining a Light on the British Fashion Industry, for the first episode, I'm delighted to welcome as my guest, the musician and entrepreneur, the very brilliant Tiny Temper. Since launching his debut album a decade ago, he's had a hugely successful career with seven UK number one singles and numerous accolades, including two Brit Awards and an Ivor Novello Award. He has strong ties to the British fashion industry, not only because of his own distinctive sense of style, but through his active support and involvement as an ambassador for London Fashion Week men since 2015. He has been named Best Dressed Man at the GQ Men of the Year Awards and has his own line of clothing called What We Wear which has been donating profits from its sales to the NHS during the COVID-19 crisis. Welcome, Tiny. How are you, Dills? You right? <laughs> I am very, very well. How are you doing? I'm very good. Um, I know a lot of people say coping when it comes to corona, but to be honest, I've been just trying to see the positives in everything, which is a lot of downtime for me. Like, I'm always moving around, traveling, going from um, city to city, country to country or whatever. So for me, it's really been nice to just be still and kind of recalibrate, spend some good time with family, spend some time talking to my parents more, which we, I think we all probably need to do a bit more of. And then also just finishing a lot of music, which is um, imminent, you know, as soon as we come out of lockdown. But that's it pretty much. How about yourself, Dylan? Well, it's um, uh, it's obviously a very surreal uh, environment that we find ourselves in. But I have to say that from a professional point of view, um, the the entire team have, have uh, acclimatized fantastically well. And our website is on fire. I think anyone who has a website that isn't successful at the moment is doing something wrong. Um, weirdly, we've had an uplift in sales in supermarkets, which is traditionally not a big uh, a, a big consumer area for us and then that's what and then we've 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 managed to move all our big events to the autumn in in the hope that uh, we can find our way through this um uh and start having live events towards the end of the year but i've i've got a lot of musician friends and i've spoken to a lot of them over the last couple of months and the situation that you find yourself in must be incredibly strange because like you say, you're always traveling. I'm always bumping into your airports. You're always off somewhere. Uh, you've got your fingers in so many different pies. Um, and having almost an enforced lockdown like this, uh, does it, is it, is it good for creativity? You say that you can, um, that you can process a lot of stuff, you can finish a lot of things, and obviously it's great spending time with our families. But what about creativity? What's it, what's it been like for creativity for you? Um, well, to be honest, I think it's been great for creative, like creative, um, creatively for me. Um, and the reason why I say that is because when you're moving like a million miles per minute, you're almost having to like finish music on the go. So 
I don't know, you know, I could travel somewhere, meet and greet 25 people. I don't know when that's ever going to happen again now, but meet and greet 25 people, do a whole bit of promo, do a show, and then try and finish a song. And I think, because I've, I've been doing it for so long, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that process. It's all fine. But what I've actually realised is, this almost reminds me of like when I used to like live with my parents. This time, this unprecedented <laughs> time that we're in, this reminds me of like a long summer holiday where I used to like live with my parents. And again, my imagination is running wild. Like I want to go out. I'm imagining what the big wild world is like. I've got all these hopes. I've got all these ambitions. And I've kind of gone mentally in a weird way back into that sort of way of thinking so musically i think my ideas are a lot more vivid they're a lot more brighter and you know what it's like dylan like our lifestyles are busy but they're also great so you've got a lot of partying a lot of drinking and a lot of that stuff i haven't had a reason to do it still doing a little bit of drinking probably more than i should but i haven't had any real reason to go out and like get really wasted or so I think my mind is clear I've been working out a lot and so creatively it's been really good I've come up with some great ideas I jumped on TikTok recently and my numbers have been going crazy on there so I was recently in the TikTok advert and a lot of people were like what the hell are you doing on TikTok but again this is something that I probably wouldn't have done if we were all still going at like 100 miles per minute one of the one of the things that um that I remember being so attractive about you when you first met is your almost relentless positive energy. Um, not in a naive way, just you're a really positive person, which is, which is great. So two questions professionally uh, and personally, how is, how is the music industry going to look and how it, your own personal um, uh, sort of negotiations in the music industry, how's that going to look when we come out of this, towards the end of the year, when perhaps you can get in front of people uh, again? What, what, what are things going to look like? Good question. So professionally, um, not just only for myself, but for the industry as a whole, I am quite worried. And I think that a lot of people are worried. And... Um, even though I definitely have a very, very optimistic kind of outlook, a very positive mindset, um, our, our industry is very reliant on being in front of people, right? So like I said, whether you're meeting and greeting 25 avid fans who have travelled from all over different parts of England just to be in this one venue to see you, or whether you're at a festival during this period of time that we're in right now in front of 100,000 people. And everybody knows that for a musician, that's where you get your real margin. That is, that is the area and the space where, you know, the men are separated from the boys, if, if, that, if, if that's the, the, the best way to put it. So in that respect, I'm very, very worried and I think that a lot of the industry is worried. I recently changed um, booking agents. So there was a few things that we did like, and that we had lined up. We personally had our Disturbing Malta. We've just, been, we've just done five summers of Disturbing Ibiza very successfully at Ushuaia. We've done um, three or four seasons in Dubai at a club called White. And this was our first opportunity again 
um, better negotiations, better conversation than all the previous ones to really get into more real business and do Malta for the first time. Again, like a great territory and somewhere which is still kind of like fresh. It's only Annie Mac from the UK that's like really doing anything huge over there. And again, like we, we've kind of, that has been postponed potentially till September, but even then we're not sure if people are going to be able to stand next to each other, whether people are going to have the confidence to get on flights and start traveling around. We have no idea. So we are kind of in the land of unknown. Um, personally, um, I would say if I, if I was a new artist right now, this, if I was, if, if actually, if I was a new artist right now, Dylan, I would say this would be a good and a bad time. A, a bad time because I wouldn't be able to do any shows, yeah? And so as a result, I wouldn't be able to get those huge margins like I'm talking about that could change my life and change my lifestyle. However, this is definitely one of the periods where I think a lot of people are going to be consuming content. So they're going to be listening to podcasts. They're going to be watching videos. They're going to be catching up on Netflix. They're going to be, um, I don't know, going over old albums or whatever. So if, if you are trying to get someone's attention now, this is a kind of good time to do it. You might just not be able to reap the like biggest rewards from it if you're an artist. So personally, even though I'm not a new artist, I'm, I'm quite thankful that I'm kind of consolidated and I've started putting out music again after three years. So I'm kind of in the mindset of being a new artist. Thankfully, I'm in a great position. I'm very comfortable. I don't have to worry on a kind of day-to-day, month-to-month kind of level. So I'm just using this as an opportunity to really just engage with my audience and you know, grow my audience and let my hair down a bit as well because we're all in the house. So this is the most relatable time, you know, outside of this. I've never seen you in your house just chilling like this, even though I've known you for 10 years or eight years or whatever. But now this is what makes me and you more relatable to each other than ever. We're in the same position. And so I think this is a great time for an artist to kind of, have that connection with their fan base because it's going to be a closer connection than ever. So that's how I'm looking at things personally, that, you know, there is going to be light at the end of the tunnel. We're not going to be on lockdown forever. Things are going to start opening up. And when they do, we're ready to, you know, maximise and capitalise and all of that kind of stuff. I've got a whole, like, you know, array of music that's coming out, not just from myself, but from other artists. And then on a professional level i guess because i don't run the industry you know i'm just an artist within it until we you know whether it's bj boris johnson or whoever comes out and says this is when live events will start happening this is how many people are allowed in a venue i'm in the same position as everyone else i haven't got a clue i think that what you say is in, is is incredibly um true is that the um <clears throat> one thing that the lockdown has afforded us is not uh, is not only our ability to consume in different ways but also to connect in different ways and obviously um uh the next fashion week that we have in london um which is traditionally um the men's week at the beginning of june um this season is all digital um and even though it's going to be quite compromise and it's going to be quite difficult for people uh many 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 designers to engage because of their issues with supply change it will offer a new way 
to connect with people. So whether it's September or January where we come back and uh, we're in a world where there are um, fashion shows again, people are traveling again, there are presentations, there are parties, there are this, that and the other. This will allow us a different way to, 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 to commune with people. Um, yeah. But I think that for me, the thing that I miss most is, is human interaction. And it's great talking to people and it's great looking at a screen and it's great talking to people in a different way in different environments. But it's that human interaction, which I think is, uh, is the thing that, that people are going to be desperate for when we, when we eventually come out of this. Now, talking about, talking about Fashion Week, you, you grew up in South East London. Yeah. How old were you and when did you first become aware of fashion and style and how important it was to youth culture? Um, I would say as soon as I was in, as soon as I started going to school, I think that's when you want to belong. Um, even, even just now, the older I get, I realize that the, you know, as a human being, we all kind of have this desire to just belong and to kind of be one. And I think a lot of people kind of don't know how to process that or understand it. But I think that there is that kind of like desire that we all have. But I think that's when I started really caring about fashion because you know, normality kind of begins within the context of your household. But then as soon as you start going to school and you start socialising around your area, I grew up in a pretty working class area, Peckham. I didn't go to a great school. I went to just a Catholic school, you know, um, St. Francis in Peckham, Burdenbush Road. And then you just start seeing different sorts of kids. You see white kids, you see black kids, you see Irish kids, you see, they are white as well, but you see like Asian kids and everyone's got their different ways of life, the different cultures and their different, I guess, senses of style. And my school was a predominantly uniformed um, school because we were Catholic, obviously. So everyone has to wear their school uniform. But um, when we had our Mufti days or our own clothes day, that's when you would see people come in and you'd start to notice, oh, okay, this person has got an, I think at that stage, you're really focused on trainers and like rucksacks. Do you get what I mean? So I'm looking at this sort of stuff and you can tell, oh, this kid's getting well looked after. He's got the latest pair of like Nikes or this kid isn't really getting looked after. He's got a pair of like, I don't know, market trainers or whatnot. And I think from there, I started to develop a, a kind of sense of style and a desire for style. Um, actually, going over what you just said, I wanted to ask you if you saw, um, you know, the person that's got that clothing brand, Hanifa? You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, and the girl that did the 3D show, the um, black girl, Anifa Movember. Um, I know uh -huh. a lot of people are saying it was quite revolutionary and it hadn't been done before. And I know that you're talking about how the fashion weeks for the foreseeable future are going to look. What did you think of that? What was your opinion of that? How did you feel about that? How did you feel about the attention it got? And do you think that that is um, a, maybe a format that could be used moving forward? I think it has to be, and I think that, um, and I think what what we all know is that um, um, necessity is the mother of invention. And if you don't have the ability or the funds or the platform to connect in the way that you perhaps traditionally have, then any then anything that um, breaks with those rules, anything that encourages a different way of connecting with people, I think is fantastic. And I think you're going to see that 
um, in this fashion week, you're going to see in every fashion week going forward, because I think one of the, one of the, um, you know, very enjoyable, but one, one of the crazy things about our industry is, is the fact that if you do everything, you're on a plane all the time. You're literally on an aeroplane. That's not the, that, that's not the greatest thing in the world for sustainability, even though we all love travel. It's also not the greatest thing in the world for the industry. And I think that our industry, the industry that I'm in, that, that, that you're in, is it's become such a fantastic, extravagant circus, and there's so much to enjoy within it. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, we're all trying to sell things whether it's a pair of shoes, whether it's a download, whether it's a, um, uh, a website, a magazine, an event, whatever. And there must be easier, simpler uh, ways to do this and connect with people. So I think initiatives like, like the one you mentioned are really important because I think people are always looking for new ways of doing things, particularly when they can't afford to do it in the traditional way. Now, yeah. tell, me what, tell me what you looked like when you were say 14 um, and also looking back now what i i know exactly what i look look like and obviously at the time i thought i was the coolest person in the world and now <laughs> i very much don't so i want to hear a what you looked like and <laughs> whether or not you're still proud of what you look like <laughs> um if you're talking about actual physical appearance I don't, I don't look too different, but I just had really goofy teeth. So don't worry, Dylan, on a personal level, I will send you <laughs> show you some photos of like, when I was doing my movie, <laughs> it was all wrong, mate. It was all wrong. But um, I had really, really bad teeth. Like they used to call me like Goof Troop or they used to call me like Bugs Bunny sometimes at school. Um, you know, that's definitely a breeding ground for greatness because you learn how to get thick skin. Um, but fashion, fashion wise, to be honest with you, we were from a relatively working class family. Parents immigrated from Nigeria, had us in the UK um, and then educated themselves in the UK so got all their degrees and all that kind of stuff in the UK but they did it while they had after they had us if that makes sense so what I I was living a sort of lifestyle where my mum would be working three jobs and she would have gone to like college or uni in the morning and then my dad would be doing a similar thing so as a result disposable income wasn't really um like it wasn't really there like that so what was really lucky about my situation, however, though, is that my my mum, she was quite entrepreneurial, which is where I think I've kind of inherited some of this kind of knack. And what she used to do is she used to go to New York and she would go to like the Lower East Side and she'd buy like, um, you know, like hip hop, like hip hop clothing, stuff that wasn't really popular here at the time. So she'd go and buy brands like Sean John or she'd go and get like, some Nike stuff, she'd get FUBU, she'd get Rockaway, you know, Jay-Z's old, old brand before. And in our community, there was quite a high demand for that. So fortunately, I would get like the one that didn't sell or I would get like the lucky, you know, the one that she specifically bought for me when she was there. And so that was my fashion at the time. And then, um, yeah, off the back of, I guess, the disposable income that she had from doing this sort of trade, yeah, every once in a while, I'd get the pair of trainers I wanted. Like I said, back then, it wasn't like an entire fashion. Like, I, I guess I guess if you're coming from where I've come from, you kind of work with what you have. So our fashion back then was what was on your feet. Um, and was I always proud of what was on my feet? No. 
But <laughs> I remember one time I had a, a silver pair of um, Nike Cortez, and Cortez were really big at the time. But for some reason, I had a silver pair. Maybe they were the cheapest pair or something like that. And um, we had a, a PE teacher that was that used to play for Wimbledon FC. Remember when that was a team? That's no longer a team now. But he came from Wimbledon, so he was like this actual footballer, cool guy. Everyone wanted to be his friend because he was younger than all the teachers. And then I remember, like, I was trying to show him my trainers, and he was like, he was like a bit like from the roads and stuff. So he was like, "Bro, those trainers are shit," and they were my best <laughs> pair of trainers at the time. <laughs> so my confidence levels went down, like down, down, down. So <laughs> if you're saying, would I be proud? Would I be proud of how I looked then? I would say no, because obviously I wasn't buying my stuff myself. But then I would say on a positive one, because you know how my mind works, that is probably what motivated me to want to go out into the world quicker, sooner rather than later. If my, if my parents couldn't provide it for me, then I'm not going to wait. Let me just go out and see how I can start making all this stuff happen for myself so I can have what I want. Now... As a, a musician who has performed in front of enormous audiences <clears throat> and also as someone known for your personal style, how have you and how did you start using fashion as a tool to build the image of Tiny the pop star? These are really good questions, Dylan. Really, really good questions. Right, so, so in coming, I came from a genre of music called grime or you can call it black music, or you can call it underground black music in the UK, whatever you want to call it, people still arguing over the title. But just to put everything into context, that's where I, that was my origin, right? And what that looked like was a bunch of guys, yeah, who were not necessarily fashionable, even though that fashion has now become a fashion, almost like, obviously, modern rockers, they were, it was fashion. But you know, like, dirty converses, it's that sort of thing. Because rockers had dirty converses on, on stage, then it kind of became cool. Similar to that. But back then, they weren't really that fashionable. Again, wearing what they could, wearing what they could afford and all of that sort of stuff. Ten guys in a room, emceeing like their lives depended on it. Just fighting for that 10, 20 seconds of attention um, for that moment. And so everyone is kind of the same. It's all about at that point, who's got the loudest voice or who is the hardest person in the room or who is the most prolific person, who's got the most gangster background or whatever. Um, and all of that is all well and good. That's all fine. And I was able to kind of like survive in that arena. Again, I wasn't like at the top of any of that. I wasn't like the hardest person in the room. I wasn't like the person with the loudest voice. So I think as I continued to establish myself, I started just focusing on my strengths and I think a lot of, it sounds silly to say it, but I'm talking to you and I'm just, I, I, again, I'm just trying to inspire the next generation of people that want to do this as well. But I always got a lot of stick for being like, having like a nice face, like in a, in a genre where it was about being hard and gangster and this and that. So everyone's like, you're a pretty boy, like you're a good looking guy, right? And so I knew that I had a sort of USP with, with the female audience. Um, and so that led me to make certain song choices and song decisions that I ended up making, which got me closer to the point where you would discover me or you would hear me or something like that. And so that was one of the things, making songs for girls and then just dressing uh, 
slightly more fashionable. And I would say, like, you know, definitely linking up with D at the time, who was my older cousin, Dumi, who you know really well. Um, him being slightly older, having that disposable income, he was almost like the big brother who I never had. That was almost, you know, he worked at The Gap, so he kind of like, I don't know, kind of had this concept of all of this stuff, was buying stuff, wearing different things, different brands, just being a young adult. And so I was like, bro, just show me, man. Like, show me, get me involved. If you, Where can I buy this? Where can I get that? Where did you get this from? Where did you get that from? And then slowly, off the back of that, off the back of seeing, like, American hip-hop as well, and off the back of just knowing that I wanted to separate myself from the, the mass that was coming from this world, I think these are all the things that led me to be like, you know what, you have to dress more individually and your style is also going to be something that people pay attention to. How can retail companies in the UK and indeed the wider British fashion industry as a whole support each other at a time like this? Um, it's very funny that you say that um, because I know it's not in the nature of 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 capitalism of like western business to even have have that that doesn't exist really that that nature is not there but i don't know if you've been seeing this as well but what i've seen recently is like i, I remember seeing an advert from bmw and they were like you know what lockdown is, is on coronavirus is happening we just thought we should show you a picture of something that we really we really love at the moment. Sorry. And the picture that they showed was a picture of a Mercedes. I don't know if you saw that. But it was basically, <laughs> it was basically yeah, it was basically BMW being like, you know, we're not marketing, but this is something we've really been appreciating at the moment. And it was a picture of a Mercedes and it got everybody talking. Why would BMW do that? And I think that what's been really nice about this time is that you know, we have all been showing each other the greatest self-love. Self and it hasn't, it's not been literal. It's not, you know, you, we've all called and texted our loved ones to see how they are. But I, what I'm trying to get at is the fact that you're in your house as big Dylan Jones and the fact that I'm in my house and we are not going out. We are showing a big act of self-love for those who are more vulnerable than us, right? And so I think... You know, again, I don't have the answers. I'm not like some marketing genius. I'm not Saatchi and Saatchi. I'm not like, but from, from, from my mind and from my perspective, I think if all of these brands just did either all try to come together and do something for the community or for those key workers, because I've always said at the end of the day, you know, it's all nice giving them a clap. It's lovely. It's amazing. I've done it 10, five times now, at least. I did it yesterday as well. But it needs to financially benefit the people who are risking their lives. Otherwise, it like what sort of society that we're living in? What are we living in? Most of these guys are earning, you know, probably less than 40 grand a year. They're risking their lives. They've got families. They've got, do you get what I mean? We've already seen some cases where those key workers are the ones who are more affected than obviously those who have been isolating. So if those brands all came together or those, this big retail, um, you know, titans all came together and did something maybe after lockdown or uh, put a pool of money together to sell, to help them or did a come, you know, come in, we're going to style you and pamper you for the day or we're going to sort out your outfits for the year. I think that would be something that would be a selfless act that would raise enough awareness 
um, to get people, I don't know, interested in their brand. Because I think every business is going to have to be a lot more conscious now and a lot more work. And I think that also collaboration in, in a capitalist uh, marketplace isn't common or it is, but it isn't, you know, you're, 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 it's very unlikely to see Prada meeting up with Gucci to do something. Do you get what I'm saying? So if we saw a bit more of that, I think that would be very exciting for the consumers. I think it would be helpful to the key workers and I think it would be helpful to the brands. But again, I'm just a rapper. <laughs> You've been, um, one of the many things you do uh, over and above okay. your day job, um, you've been a fantastic ambassador for London Fashion Week men for over, well over five years now. But for those who don't know, um, what does your role involve? And, and describe what it's been like working with the BSC during that time and maybe some of the designers you've met and have enjoyed watching grow. Of course. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm very proud to be one of the people that was uh, around um, for around the inception, you know, Caroline Rush, yourself, you know, all the great people that um, were involved in kind of like making this thing exist. And I was very honoured to get the role and be, be an ambassador for it. And I think what I've really enjoyed about the role over the past couple of years is, one, just understanding the way the actual fashion industry works, you know, because it's it's an industry, you know, this has to happen for that to happen and that has to happen for, for this to happen. But when you're looking at it as a consumer, you don't really understand that. Um, and I guess my main role as an ambassador is kind of like using myself, my profile, to kind of shed light on up-and-coming, fresh, exciting, not always up-and-coming, sometimes established, British talent, you know, male, female, straight, gay, whatever it is, celebrating that, celebrating them and trying to use my platform to create more awareness uh, for them because ultimately it's helping the economy of British fashion. So from everyone from like, you know, um, you know James Long to um, uh, uh, Christopher Rayburn to J.W. Anderson to... Uh, Roxander to, I mean, I could keep naming them, but from pretty much, you know, from their first couple of fashion shows in London, not only myself, but a few other key people, you know, new, more and more people are added on every year. You've got the likes of David Beckham now, you've got the likes of Lewis Hamilton. You know, we will get down there, we'll make sure we're down there first, you know, we've got the best seats and we're we're sharing their designs, you know, sharing their designs. We're going backstage, we're meeting them, we're encouraging them, congratulating them. And again, just trying to promote uh, their efforts in order to help our economy and help the economy of British fashion keep, keep growing and keep expanding. What do you think is the unique thing about British fashion, the, the, the DNA? What makes British fashion so different to the fashion that you see in New York or in Shanghai or Milan or Paris. What is it about UK fashion? For me personally, and I recently learned this, but um, I know that at the ve you know, very, very beginnings of British culture and civilization, obviously way before we existed, um, wool was our, one of our biggest commodities at that time. So wool has always been something that we have um, exported 
out. So we've we've always and for clothing as well for clothing. So for me, I, I think it's it's our heritage and it's how I feel like a lot of countries now, you know, the places like you know Italy, they will have like a very distinct sense of style and a sense of fashion. But I feel like British fashion has always been quite practical. Um, I really love love our outerwear. I think because of the conditions that we're in, we've had to. Um, almost create a certain sense of style of fashion and there's layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of it. And I don't know, I can't think of any other nation that has a similar kind of like climate and, you know, seasonal differences to us that have kind of thought of fashion in this uh, very um, uh, entire way, if that makes sense. Um, And that's what I think we do better than anyone else. So I think when it comes to our fabrics um, and how practical they are, when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to our outerwear as well, I think that we're, there's not that many people that can beat us. This month, as well as having a huge digital component, it also sees the merging of men's and women's fashion week for the very first time. What do you think the response will be from the industry? I think, for me personally, just as someone who's um, partaken in these fashion weeks as well also as a designer um i think that it's it's positive i think it's progressive um and i think that it definitely puts a lot more a lot less pressure on the designer as well like in terms of like their collection in terms of what they're making because the reality of it is people buy what they like you know people whether you're male or female if you see (laughs) if you see a top a top or a bottom or whatever that speaks to you you're gonna you're going to inquire about it. You're going to be interested. And I feel like, not like it was wrong because it's kind of how it was across the world, but I feel like the way it was kind of structured before, you had to kind of like fix in, fit into a box. And if you, what I found is that when I did it, I was trying to fit into a box that my brand was, wasn't even necessarily in which was, let's say, high fashion, for example. And I know that everybody that shows during men's, um, men's and women's isn't high fashion, but I think in my mind at the time, I was like, okay, because we're doing the runway, we're going to have to do a couple um, uh, really elaborate designs. We're going to have to do one or two very technical things. And so we found ourselves making, uh, you know, mohair suits and stuff like that for a demographic of probably about, 18 to 20, 30, you know, 25, 30-year-olds that want to buy hoodies and T-shirts and track bottoms and feel comfortable, you know, wear stuff like I'm wearing now, literally. So I think for all of these designers, including um, myself and ourselves at what we wear, um, I think it's going to be great because I think, one, it gives more people time and uh, it gives more people time, more fluidity, and it can... it, it Because it's progressive and because you know, men and women can show at the same time, it will allow designers to kind of be more creative, I think, because they have less less, uh, constructs, you know, less barriers. As well as being um, a great ambassador for our industry, also a few years ago, as you say, you you launched your own line, What We Wear, um, uh, which was a fantastic addition to to um, to the schedule. Uh, created an awful lot of noise and indeed was very successful. Yeah. What was the, um, uh, and you were, I think, again, one of the uh, 
incredibly attractive things about your entry in into that market is you really went with your eyes wide open and you were saying i want to do this thing and i'm going to make it happen yeah. uh and you weren't remotely cynical about it at all what did you learn what were the what were the shocking things that you learned in the sort of the first year of trying to build a brand so um, before I even went and even started, I sat down with some very like people that I hold high in regard. I won't say all of their names, but of the many I spoke to, you were obviously one of them. And um, I, I got loads of great advice, but sometimes you know what it's like. When, when someone's advising you on something new, you can also feel like they're trying to deter you as well. It's just like anything. You know, like if you said to me, oh, you know, Tia, I want to start rapping. And I said, oh, Dylan, Dylan, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you want to make an album now? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? There, there might be a way, even though me and you are good friends, we like each other, we're comfortable around each other, I may say it to you in a way where you may walk away feeling empowered, but also feeling like, maybe Tiny doesn't want me to rap. <laughs> like, maybe, <laughs> like, maybe, you know, so I think, I think bits of advice, like, you know, don't spend too much of your own money, you know, things like that, don't get a store. Things like that, which, you know, just for the record of everyone that's listening, you didn't say that to me, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it was you. But the people who did say that to me, I, I was like, what was wrong with me doing this? Like, why? And I feel like these are the things that I have learned. Um, when you have an idea, of course, you know, anyone, if you believe in, sorry, if you believe in something, you should really, you know, put your money where your mouth is and you should at least get it to a certain stage. But I think what I, what I have learned in the process is that uh, budgeting, um, budgeting and budgeting in a kind of like rational way in the, of the, for the essential things that your brand needs, given how old your brand is, given where your brand is at, the positioning of your brand in the market, all of these things are things to take into account. And in, in hindsight, I think where, again, like you said, ambassador of BFC, um, watching, you know, lots of British designers all the time. And yes, some of them thrive and some of them don't, you know, just like in Italy, just like in Germany or Australia or wherever. But I think in my mind, I was like, okay, cool. This is the route that I know. And this is the route that I'm starting to understand. So it kind of has to be like that. But what I have learned is that, you know, if you're, if you're and basically any investment that you're going to make into anything, it needs to just be a, a very calculated and shrewd investment. And I think that, you know, even though I'm a rapper with disposable income, um, I think what I've learned from that is anytime I make an investment, I'm going to have like a base level amount of cash that I'm going to say I'm prepared to invest into this thing for it to take off. Do you, get, do you get what I'm trying to say? As opposed to, you know, okay, here's this new idea. We're going to go to Africa now and do a fashion show. It's gonna, we're going to spend this or we're going to go here or we're going to go and do this or we're going to collaborate with this person um, without really kind of calculating it. And I'm just talking about in terms of budgeting. Um, and then I think the other thing that I've learned is just you don't have to have a massive team. You don't have to have a massive team at all. You know, I'm, I come up with a lot of the designs, but I'm not the person who's like making the clothes, you know, and I've always come out and said that. I've got a team of people doing that. But at the beginning, I maybe thought you needed twice as much 
people than, than you actually need or three times as much. Um, and again, that's something that I've learned a lot. But then what's been really good about this is after Corona hit, you know, we've kind of been plodding along, doing our thing, understanding our demographic, you know, more and more. But then as this Corona's kind of hit, it forced us, just like it forced everybody else, to really kind of like really become streamlined. Obviously, our relationships with our factories in Turkey or Portugal or China, everything was put on hold. So it forced us to kind of be pragmatic. And yes, it gave me an opportunity and a lot of the people working there as well to go even be furloughed, you know, go be, be furloughed and, you know, kind of um, be in a situation where you know, because I've got, you know, someone that's doing the sketching, someone that's, you know, uh, making the graphics, someone that's uh, doing the patterns, cutting out the patterns, someone that's making the samples. And I think I didn't furlough everyone, but I feel like the, the, the amount of people that I furloughed allowed me to look at the business in a lot more of like a clear way. And sure. I'm sure probably just like Condé Nast or GQ, you're like, actually, you know, there's seven people here, but three people could do what seven people are doing. So I think for me, there was a certain just way I, I thought it needed to look and be. And as, as, as time is progressing, again, we're still only three years old, you know, coming up to four years now um, in 2021. I just feel like I, we're just, we've just found our sweet spot and it's literally, it can exist online and people discover it. People hear about it through others. People see it because it's cool or because the right artist is wearing it or because I'm wearing it or because you're wearing it or whoever's wearing it. And they, they, they go for it and they get it. And that makes our overheads lower. It makes, you know, our marketing budget a lot lower, but people are still consuming it. And now we're in a sweet spot where we're making more than we're spending which is good. And I know with a lot of businesses, it probably takes a couple of years to figure that out anyway. But I would say, Dills, honestly, these are the things that I've learned. Like, you know, your overheads don't need to be crazy. All the people that were telling me not to get a store that I was thinking, ah, you don't want me to be here. You don't want me in this situation. They're right. You don't need a store. Like, sure. like we've realized the internet is, is a powerful thing. It's a powerful tool. And as long as you make sure that your website and everything is working how it needs to work and your marketing, you don't have to do, you know, again, this is not to deter anyone, but you don't have to do elaborate things where you've got 55 people walking down a catwalk, even like we saw with this um, amazing girl with her brand, like we were talking earlier, you could do it digitally and probably spend sure. a fraction, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, I have to say, Tiny, I'm very, very disappointed because uh, my next question was going to be, I was going to ask you for some help for my, for my late, uh, late entry into the rap arena. Um, <laughs> but if you feel so threatened by me, then I will go and ask some advice from, a, from someone else, okay? Hey, but, um, you're, you're, you're strapping six foot six or however <laughs> you are, James Bond looking. I don't, I don't want to be involved in this, mate. I don't leave it to me. Jesus. Tiny, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's, uh, it's great to see you. It's great to see you so positive. And thank you again for everything that you do for the British Fashion Council and indeed for the British fashion industry. So um, thanks again. Have a great day. And I'll see you soon, I hope. Thank you very much, Dylan. We'll all see each other soon, hopefully. And be safe. Love to your family. And yeah, I can't wait to see the next one. This has been great. 
Fashion Forum is a co-production between the British Fashion Council and In Talks With Productions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to find out more and join the conversation on social media, then head to londonfashionweek.co.uk or at London Fashion Week.